What's up, everybody? It is that time of the week again. Feels like we just left y'all, but uh, we're right back at you with another jam-packed episode tonight of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Drew is not quite the same doing it back over Skype again. I really enjoyed our episode together last week. Yeah, man, that was an absolute blast. I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, we bookended the podcast with two separate uh, runs to the tap room and caught the end of the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat game six game that ended in a buzzer beater. We'll get to all that in just a second. But yes, Rusty, uh, did you make it back to South Carolina without any hitches? No, I did not. So <laughs> flying, man, you never can tell what's going to happen. But I uh, flew back American. Um, when I left Memphis, we had a little bit of mechanical issue, delayed us by about 15, 20 minutes. We got there in plenty of time. My next flight left at 5.40. We landed, or at 6.40, and we landed at like 5.50. I got off the plane at 6.09, and I had to just go two gates down. So I get on my plane at 6.40. We're supposed to take off. We board at 6.40. No big deal. We push back from the gate, and we sit there for 20 minutes before the captain comes over and says, we have a slight mechanical issue. A mechanic is on his way. We'll get it cleared, and then we'll take off. 20, 30 minutes later, he comes back and says, well, we actually have to go to the mechanic, so we're going to drive around the airport and meet him over there. So we drive around the airport. Mechanic get, mechanic one gets on, works on it for about 20, 30 minutes. Mechanic two gets on there and works on it for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then they make the call that we have to change planes. So I was supposed to fly out of Charlotte at 640, land at Myrtle Beach at 736. Plenty of time to get home and watch Game 7 in the comforts of my condo here in Merrill's Inlet. I didn't take off from Charlotte until 9.30 and then get home until 10.30. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just that's just flying for you, right? I know my mom and dad got took a nine-hour flight out of Chicago yesterday uh, and landed in Barcelona, Spain last night at 9.30. I'm so jealous. And it seems like they had less trouble than you did trying to get, <laughs> trying to get from, what did you say, Charlotte to Myrtle Beach? So. Yeah, which is like a 30-minute, 30, 40-minute 30, flight. I mean, it's not yeah. bad at all. So when we were in the band, uh, we were flown to a couple different concerts in Charlotte. And uh, so that was no problem getting to Charlotte. But then a couple times we flew to Raleigh. And for the plane tickets they booked us, there was a connecting flight in Charlotte. And you're talking about up in the air and back right down. There's no straight-line flight yeah. uh, when you're just going from Charlotte to Raleigh. So. Yeah, and that's how it is from, from Myrtle Beach to Charlotte. I mean, it's a pretty straight flight. It really shouldn't take that long unless you sit on the tarmac for two hours like I did. So um, shout out to American Airlines. They did finally get me home. I didn't have any trouble flying Delta over there. So looks like I'll be sticking to Delta going forward. But glad to be back. Glad to be back home, back on the podcast with you tonight, sir. Yeah, I am I am glad to be back. Uh, it feels like you said we recorded Saturday night. And it's Wednesday, and it snuck up on me. You know, it's like a it's like a long it's like a short weekend, you know, from work, and so you have a lot of fun, and then somehow Friday sneaks up on you again. So mm-hmm. we are getting ready. We have got the car loaded down. We're leaving out first thing in the morning. The Gann family is going to take Destin, Florida, by storm uh, for a long weekend trip, uh, family vacation, and so uh, as soon as we close this up, Daddy's going to go shower get in the bed and get ready to go first thing in the morning what time are y'all trying to get on the road in the morning well we're going to get on the road at eight uh but the first of the month requires a lot of engineering duties 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to get up early and try to knock all of those out by 8 o'clock. And so it may be an early morning for me, but not as early for everybody else in my household. There you go. Nice, man. Well, first of all, before we dive into too many sports topics tonight, I owe you a congratulations and a toast, sir. Oh, yeah? Our latest episode over the past weekend got us over 1,000 downloads. So hey! Cheers. And cheers. Is that 1,000 in one week or 1,000 total? 1,000 total. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what. Cause if, if you told me that was one that blew up, I'd believe it. Yeah. Um, no, we, uh, that one actually has done really well, but, uh, we've officially at all time, almost, uh, 1,050 downloads of our podcast, two little guys from, from North Mississippi. Uh, well, one, not so little, uh, from North Mississippi and having a great time doing a little podcast and we officially hit the thousand, uh, thousand download threshold. So any of you out there with a business or something that wants to be downloaded or, uh, advertised on a thousand download podcast we are your guys (laughs) don't ask how many downloads it is but yeah we've made it we've made it (laughs) so yeah yeah, uh, congratulations rusty we would not keep doing this if it weren't fun yeah so we don't do it for the listeners we don't do it for uh uh advertisers uh we genuinely enjoy you know that they say uh if you love what you do you'll work for free you know that's where we're at with this we are but (laughs) But I do have mouths to feed, and we could provide you a service as well. So Absolutely. I'm on board. Uh, no free ads here, and so, uh, but they are very cheap. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, very cheap. So. But uh, let's keep the uh, the good news rolling. Did you see the the news about Liam Hendricks, the uh, professional baseball pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, this week? So I knew that he was getting called up. Backstory for everybody. Uh, Liam Hendricks, uh, was it two years ago or last year? Was Five uh, months ago. Five months ago. Okay. So in the, this offseason was diagnosed with cancer and um, took time off to battle cancer. And he made his triumphant return this week. And you just, I tell you what, it, that's the kind of story that yeah. makes sports special. You know, sports about bonds with families, and that's what it is for me. But that's the kind of thing you don't get anywhere else is those those yeah. huge returns, those big life moments that get, are able to get shared with the whole world. And not just any cancer. It was stage four and pretty dire diagnosis that he received just five months ago um, and is now back on the bump pitching for the White Sox. Pitched last night. Um, just a really cool story, as you said, Drew. Just one of those that – you don't get to see all that often, um, unfortunately, but sports is a great avenue for that. It's a great opportunity to celebrate these kind of wins and the triumph of the human spirit. And shout out Liam Hendricks. Uh, man, I'm just glad to see him back on the mound, pitching, doing what he does best, and being healthy more than anything. So hopefully those uh, cancer-free diagnoses keep rolling in. He'll stay in remission and has a long career ahead of him. So congratulations, White Sox fans, and most importantly, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, and today Lance Lynn pitched for the White Sox and gave up a 486-foot home run to Shohei Otani. <laughs> <laughs> Tomahawk missile. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. So, yeah, um, that is awesome. You know, And if you haven't seen it, look it up on Twitter. There are some, like, the, the light show and the ovation that he received last night was, I mean, it was, it, it'll give you chills watching. It's just so cool. We'll put it on our Two Bucks Sports Podcast Twitter feed so you can see it. It's uh, it, it is a sight to behold. So good news all around for the start of the podcast. 
Yeah, love love to start the podcast off with good news rather yeah. than John Morant. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so. we've had to start for the last couple of weeks. But speaking of NBA movement, before we dive into the epic uh, Eastern Conference Finals that we ended up having, more news out of the NBA. If you're a, a 76ers fan, it's probably some good news for you. But uh, they have found their new head coach to replace Doc Rivers. They picked up one not to be confused with Nick Nolte, the one Nick Nurse, former coach of the Toronto Raptors, is now a Philadelphia 76er. Yeah, who would have thought Nick Nolte could, would have come out of nowhere and you slurped the job from in Philadelphia from Nick Nurse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I told you last week or two weeks ago when we were talking NBA head coach vacancies that this could just be a big musical chairs where everybody trades coaches. And to me, in my opinion, Nick Nurse was number one. Yeah. Now, I've seen where the 76ers have, you know, Haters of the 76ers have got their jokes off this week saying that, you know, Joel Embiid's knees would be like barbecue chicken after Nick Nurse plays him for 44 minutes a night. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, with a superstar like Joel Embiid, who has the uh, reputation for being fragile, uh, although an argument could be made that that's unwarranted at that point after several seasons of being healthy. Um. You know, he's going to take it easy on Joel. Joel's going to set his own pace here. You know, that's how it works with superstar players. A superstar player that Nick Nurse has not had since Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And so I think that's a huge hire. Uh, another another rumbling. Uh, you got something else to say on that? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you say it on this podcast all the time. We've talked about it a lot. Don't overthink it. Just make the smart hire. And the Sixers did not overthink it. They picked the right man. They picked the most sensible one of the group that was free, looking for a job. I think it's a home run hire. Like you said, pairing him with, with Joel Embiid, you know, Drew, we can talk more about this as we get into the conference finals, but it's, you know, begs the question, will he fall into, will Joel Embiid fall into some of the Jimmy Butler uh, type roles as they go through the season you know do just enough to be in the playoff hunt right. and turn it on come playoff time but they didn't overthink it and they made the right hire yeah and you know if you look at the difference in between the past coach and the now current coach and nick nurse the difference between him and doc rivers is night and day when it comes to playoff experience and playoff record now i know doc rivers was named to the top 15 nba coaches of all time but his playoff record outside of one title run in Boston with that you and the I first could have, big the first big three ever created. You and I could have uh, taken that team to the finals. <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, he has blown every single NBA, every single series lead he's ever had. Uh, you don't trust him. And you've got Nick Nurse, who is widely known as one of the best XO yeah. coaches in the game. And so I – the next for the Sixers, what you look for is what James Harden does. If he's going to opt out of like 40 or $50 million in this contract, just go to, you know, possibly Houston, you know, which would just be the most brain dead decision of all time. But what do you expect? It's James Harden. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what you're looking for next as the 76ers. Uh, did you see where the Detroit Pistons may have hired a coach? No. So, uh, the Detroit Pistons are in advanced talks with Monty Williams, the former coach of the Phoenix Suns, yep. which, in my opinion, is a match made in heaven. Yep. Monty Williams is a player's coach. He is a program builder. If he's got one knack on his resume, one question, one flaw, it's can he get a really good team to be great? 
but there are no make no bones about it. Monty Williams, as a developer of talent and as a team builder, there may not be any better in the NBA, and he is such a player-friendly coach. And so when you've got young guys like Cade Cunningham and and um, um, shoot, uh, Jaden Ivey and yeah, yeah. Uh, the James big Wiseman, these guys that yeah. are there now. Yeah, the big guy from from Memphis, uh, yeah. the blanking on his name. But you've got young talent. James Wiseman. No, the other one, the one oh, that uh, same uh, draft class. Uh, yeah. Uh, same recruiting class, rather. Um, shoot. Marvin Bagley. Oh, he's there too, but no. Killian Hayes. Too. No, he's there too. Uh, what's his name? The Jalen uh, uh, Jalen J- Duran. Yeah, Jalen Duran. So you've got all of those big guys there yeah. and all those young guys to build around. Um, the only shame of it for Detroit and the reason why they probably weren't the first in line to get the head coach they want is that they had the worst, they had the best odds, tied for the best odds, the worst record in the NBA, yeah. and they slipped down to the fifth pick in the draft. Yeah. So. That's the only negative. You know, if you could have added Wimby or Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller to that, my goodness, you would have had any coach you wanted, you know? Yeah, and but like you said, man, from a player-coach perspective, like Monty Williams is, is going to thrive there. There's some serious talent on the Detroit team, but none of those guys are 20, you know, 22, 23 years old. They're like the Grizzlies, just a little bit behind because they have, they've bet on player development, they've bet on young talent, and they've got a cupboard full, like we talked about, Jaden Ivey, uh, Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Jalen Duran, James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley, uh, Bogdanovich. They've got some guys who can play. They're just young and inexperienced. And a coach like Monty Williams could make them start taking that next step. Yep. And then the Milwaukee Bucks hired the Toronto Raptors lead assistant um, and Adrian Griffin, mm-hmm. who, I mean, he's – He's always been kind of that next guy. You know, if you wanted to, the first-time head coach, everybody loves going to that Budenholzer tree. Yep. You know, that's where Taylor Jenkins came from. That's where Kenny Atkinson came from. All those guys came, and uh, even the Lakers coach. Um, oh, yeah, Marvin, uh, Darvin Dar- Ham. Darvin Ham, yeah. They all came from that Budenholzer tree, and so Adrian Griffin uh, was the next in line. So they hired him in Toronto where he will go and get all of his paycheck taxed like crazy. <laughs> Canada. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Oh. He left Canada and went to Milwaukee. So he only might make a lot more money. Yeah, there you so, go. And, yeah. you know, Drew, it's, this is a testament to having this conversation. Just like you look at the two teams in the NBA finals, and Eric Spolstra's been there forever. What, 15 years now? Yeah, uh, something like that. Something like, like forever. He was there before LeBron went. Absolutely. The, so he's been there. That was 2011, almost, I think almost probably pushing 20 years at this point through his development from a lowly staff position to the head coach. Mike Malone has been in Denver now pushing 10 years. And so it it goes to show like if you get the right coach in the right situation and you just let them do their thing, trusting that process, developing the talent, getting the pieces that fit with that coach, you know, don't be so quick to pull the trigger. Give them a chance to get in, get their system set in, trust that process. And not every coach is a Mike Malone and, and Eric Spolstra who are doing phenomenal jobs with their teams. But these guys have one of some of the longest tenured coaches in the NBA, and they're playing for the conference for the NBA title starting tomorrow night. So quick, quick trivia question. You brought up head coaches tenured in the NBA. Where would you put – where would you suspect that Taylor Jenkins is – when it comes to the longest tenured coach in the NBA? 
I would say probably based on the 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 leading of the question, I'm gonna say pretty high. Yeah, give me a number. Top seven. Yes, top seven. He is fifth in the NBA. Yeah, I almost said top so, five. Oh my god! As yeah. of this article that was written, I'm looking at Greg Popovich. He's been there since 1996. Yeah. So he's been there longer school. than my sister has been alive. <laughs> I was in middle um, school in 1996. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Spolstra, April of 2008. So he's been there 15 years. Yeah. Uh, Steve Kerr in 14. Michael Malone in 15 so with the years. Nuggets. And then, as of this, it was Boonholzer, Dwayne Casey, Nick Nurse. Two of those are um, are champions. Mm-hmm. One of them won a Coach of the Year at uh, Portland before mm-hmm. he was fired the same year. Yeah. Monty Williams, coach of, voted Coach of the Year. All of them are gone. And then Taylor <laughs> Jenkins. Next, which is crazy to me. J.B. Bickerstaff. Really? Former Grizz head man, yeah. yeah. Former Grizzlies coach who has been the coach for the Cavaliers since 2020. So three years is the sixth most tenured NBA coach in the league. You know, he came in as an interim job in Memphis and won it after a lot and just did such a great job. I will always be a J.B. Bickerstaff fan. I'm glad he's doing well and got the Cavs in a good position, man. They had a great year this year. They, I mean, they made a, you know. They loved it up like, you know. Yeah. But in a four or five matchup, it's hard to call the five seed winning an upset. You know, I mean, it is that you know, like I said, there are a few bounces away from advancing in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, he's got a certified superstar in Donovan Mitchell, some young talent around him. Good old JB, man, that's yeah. cool. So yeah, so that's what I've got. The NBA, the jobs are still open. Uh, Phoenix is still open. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see who else is open. I guess that, that's it. Is that it? Yeah, that's all yeah. I can think of, yeah. Yeah, because I guess Brooklyn's going to stick with Jock Vaughn. Yeah, he, if he was going to get fired, it would have happened by now. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. it. So, uh, all it's, I, I'm all curious, I though, think. what are your thoughts on we've had all these head coaching vacancies. Now the Warriors are without a GM. That's interesting. That's what so, I thought. Um, to set this up, so Bob Myers built this whole thing. And so Bob Myers deserves a ton of credit for building this dynasty and call it what it is. Four titles in eight years, that's a dynasty. And he's walking away. And the timing to me seems awfully like he saved himself a lot of heartache by walking away. He didn't mm-hmm. want to do this again because what he's running into this offseason is a deciding on whether or not to pay Draymond Green, one mm-hmm. of the big three and by far the most vocal, Yep. Uh, the NBA in their new collective bargaining agreement uh, set a second tier for overspending on the cap, uh, and they are well within that second tier, which means you start vacating second-round picks. You know, you're not allowed to sign. Um, you're not allowed to sign anybody off of waivers. It's a heavy you know? penalty. I mean, it is a big penalty, and for him, he's got the he's got four rings. He's got all the credit in the world. And I don't blame anybody at all for once you've accomplished everything that you can accomplish in this game, if you want to walk away and enjoy yeah. the spoils of, and not be remembered for what could be a very poor yeah. time in Warriors basketball after, you know, you lose Draymond and Steph gets old and Clay gets older, 
You Jordan know. Poole's likely gone. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot going on there. And don't forget, Draymond was recently voted the most punchable face in all of professional sports <laughs> by a illustrious podcast. Yeah, I think that Bob Myers is a listener, and so he was like, I can't pay him, and I don't want to have to tell him to his face, so I'll just quit. <laughs> that makes sense. He's a, he's a long-time listener out there. It makes sense. <laughs> so Bob Myers, uh, good job, uh, get lost, and maybe the Warriors <laughs> will start to suck. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of changes going to happen in there. You know, I don't know that they're necessarily in blow-up mode because Steph and Clay still have some life in their legs, but I don't know that Draymond and or Jordan Poole are Warriors next year. It'll be interesting to see what they can piece together and who they hire in that GM role to kind of guide them into the future, right? Because this 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 hire is going to be important for whether or not they continue on their trajectory or, like you said, they start buying for lottery picks. Well, and you know as well as I do, when you start hiring new GMs, they want to do things their way. And if a new GM comes in and he looks at the bankroll and he sees, you know, your third best player in Andrew Wiggins is making $30 million a year and Draymond's wanting a max salary and you're already playing a, paying a bum like Jordan Poole $30 million a year, they're going to want to strip that sucker down for parts. Yep. And as long as they've got Steph Curry – and they've got Clay Thompson on their team. They're going to be competitive. Mm. And so what yeah. do you try? Do you try to extend their window and crater even harder at the end? Or do you try to be competitive as much as you can while saving money and living the limbo there? And, you know, hopefully you catch fire like the Miami Heat have. Yeah, you know, in the with a bunch of role players, because you know right. you got guys like Dante Divincenzo, who's not that expensive. You got some guys, some role players that are that are there. Can you continue to win and build with those guys? Right, and you can, but you've it's got so you've got so much money wrapped up into four players. Yeah, that you, that's the problem you're going to get, and the problem that the Grizzlies are going to find. You know, Desmond Bain's up for an extension, and they're going to offer it to him, and he's going to sign for whatever money he's available. You know, and you've got Ja awesome. on a max deal, and you've yeah. got Jaron on a five-year deal that is very team-friendly. But it's still a heavy, but, it's still a heavy hit. Still twenty-plus yeah. million a year. Yeah, but you compare that to when you had all three of those guys on rookie contracts, and it afforded you a deep bench. You know, it afforded you to pay Tyus Jones starting point guard money to be your backup. That's the reality that the Grizzlies are going to look at going forward is trying to figure out how to effectively build a bench, and it's something that. The Warriors have done so well. Yeah. Now, that's what Celtics, Bob Myers deserves probably the most credit yeah. for. Anybody knows that anybody can make the decision to pay Steph and Dre and Clay and all those guys. But what he has done so well is you he's gotten role players like Livingston, Niggy, and you know, deep like you said, DiVincenzo and Kayvon Looney. Like you can go for days on role players that mm. have come up huge for them in crunch time. And it helps that you're winning. You know, when you're winning, guys will take a pay cut to come play with you for sure and take better salaries when you're winning games at a, at a tick like the Warriors were. And the Celtics are fixed out to figure that out too because they're potentially going to have, you know, $600 million tied up in two players. Uh, both Jalen Brown, yes. who struggled towards the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, and Jason Tatum are going to command max and super max deals because of making All-NBA again. Jalen Brown is due this summer. Jason Tatum next. And so... Boston's going to have to figure that out. Brad yeah, Stevens, and, your work is cut out for you. Yeah, and that's a job he asked for. He stepped into that role and off the court. And uh, So let's just go ahead and get into that. So as we finished our podcast on Saturday night, 
the Celtics and the Miami Heat were in game six. And we watched the end of it in the tap room here in Ripley, Mississippi. And we and, finished it in your driveway on the iPad. Yeah, and home. so with with about two minutes to go, I just lived right around the corner. So we we blitzed out of there to try to catch the end of it at the house. Ended up catching the end of it on my iPad in the driveway uh, just in time to see Marcus Smart catch the inbound pass and heave it towards the goal. With a great look. And carrying Kareem just perfectly so that Derek White could catch it at the rim off the backboard with .3 seconds to go to win it in just an absolute stunner. I mean, I saw clips of Heat fans celebrating because they threw their phone down as soon as they saw the the ball go off the rim. Like, just an absolute gut punch yeah. for a fan base. And, you know, we've seen those yeah. as Grizzlies fans. We've we've been we've been punched in the gut before. You know, the first one that comes to mind is that Chris Paul shot in game two against the Clippers uh, yeah. where, where he just – he he killed he ripped our hearts out right in front of us at the buzzer, and uh, that was what everybody thought was the end of the heat. Well, you know, nobody had ever come back from three zero down before, and here are the the Celtics, who are the better team, yeah, you know, or allegedly the better team based on regular season record and based on superstar talent. And here they are; they've forced a game seven, and they're playing it at home. And real quick before we move to Game 7, I'm sure you saw this, but there was a little bit of controversy at the end of that game because Jimmy Butler was fouled by Al Horford over in the corner, and the foul was initiated with about 2.7 roughly seconds left on the clock, but they stopped it at 2.1. And Jimmy Butler, with ice water in his veins, just calmly walks up there and knocks down the three biggest free throw shot not, in the NBA this year. Not only that, they called it a two-point shot. Yeah. And Boston challenged the foul. <laughs> and they they ruled that it was a foul. Oh, and his feet were behind the three point line. So instead of two shots, you're mm-hmm. getting three shots. That he calmly uh, knocked all three down. But in that review process, though every every replay I've seen, the foul Al Hortford makes contact around 2.7 seconds. They dropped it. It was at 2.1. But in the course of those free throws, all of a sudden Boston had three seconds left, and that yeah. .9 seconds was the difference. And Derek White being able to get that rebound off. I'm not here to talk conspiracy theories, but it felt like that extra 0.3 seconds from 2.7 to 3 was a was a gift to the Celtics that they maximized and were able to to make that layup. Well, it the time definitely made a factor, but I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in the review process they added that time back. Yeah, that's what they reviewed right. it and determined it was supposed to be three seconds. But, because you know, it's not the the uh, the clock operator in the in the arena is listening for the whistle. Mm-hmm. But when they review it, they don't listen for the whistle. They list they look for contact and, and it, you know it naturally like the, it, there's a delay between you see the foul and you blow the whistle. So that's where sure. the time came in. Right, and in, in the replays that I have seen on social media, it looks like the foul is initiated around two point seven. The referee saw it at three. Matters not. I'm a happy camper because then I got to watch game seven sitting on an airplane on the Charlotte tarmac. <laughs> yeah. And game seven was about as exciting as a root canal. You know, <laughs> you came out first possession. You're playing at home in Boston. This is the team. They're drawing parallels between the the 2005 Yankees and Boston Red Sox baseball series where the Red Sox came back from 3-0 down and, 
and the energy is in the building. And from the jump, first possession, Jason Tatum rolls his ankle, and he is not the same player the rest of the game. It was really a shame for basketball. But if you watch the way Miami dominated that game, I'm not sure that it would have mattered that much. No, and we had a, a Tim Tebow moment where – uh, Duncan Robinson later came out and said that the Boston fans uh, obtained his cell phone number and were blowing him up after game six. So he hits that big three late and gives him the ear cup as he goes down the court. You know, Jimmy Butler did Jimmy Butler things. Uh, and, you know, shout out Craig, um, uh, yeah, Craig Martin, man, like get an opportunity to play for the Heat. Cody. Same thing. <laughs> Playing for the Heat deep in the playoff run against a team that let him go. Um, you know, he was cut from Charlotte, picked up by the Heat, had, and then was in the Eastern Conference Finals MVP conversation after a phenomenal series. You know, the Heat, like we talked about earlier, like they're doing it without Tyler Hero. They're doing it with Kevin Love, uh, the thickest point guard in the league, and Kyrie and uh, Kyle, Kyle Lowry, former Memphis Grizzly. Like doing it with a bunch of role players, like we talked about earlier, and just went to Boston and straight up took their lunch money, punched him in the mouth from the jump. Jason Tatum getting hurt didn't help, but that Miami was not going to lose that basketball game. Yeah, and I believe I said it on the podcast. If not, I said it to you off the podcast. I said that the best possible, the most funny scenario of all time mm-hmm. is that the Heat blow a 3-0 lead but then dominate game seven in Boston yep. where their fans, you know, Boston fans are about the worst in the world. <laughs> it's like Tennessee balls, Arkansas yep. baseball and Boston, yep. you know, just <laughs> as a whole. Shout and out so, to our Boston listeners. I got a lot of buddies from that golf trip that listen to this podcast. We love you, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was great. It w- it worked out exactly how I wanted it to. I, I told know yeah, what I told you. I wanted I wanted the teams that cared about. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it did not work out for that series. But I'm all the way in on Denver to win this because oh they cared. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I honestly like we'll make projections. I'm sure, and I'm sure to be wrong, but I think Denver wins in six at the most, if not five. I, Denver's just a better team. Um, talent-wise, we get into projections here in a minute, but I want to know what video Eric Spolstra showed them before Game 7 because Bam brought it up in the trophy presentation, and he tried to hand the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference champion trophy to Jimmy Butler, and he said, nah, I'll hold the next one, which I thought was pretty yeah. cool. But then they asked Bam, you know, what did, what did Coach Spo, what did he say to get y'all motivated? He said, well, he showed us his video in the locker room, and Spo looks at him with this look of don't you say it. And so I'm curious what video was shown. Nah. I have no idea. I don't either, but maybe it was just the miracle, a, the clip of the miracle on ice. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the maybe Rocky Four. You know yeah. when Rocky knocks out Ivan Drago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it was maybe it was something the, from the, Wolf of Wall Street. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great clip. It was just a great like, oh, <laughs> yeah, moment. Don't don't you tell don't you give our secrets. Yeah, but I think it's going to set up. I think it'll be a fun finals. You know, there's some heat going back a couple years ago when uh, when Jokic took out Bam at the top of the key after a hard foul, and Jimmy oh, Butler told him to bring it to the parking lot. And there yeah, was some, there it was, was some, uh, it was a uh, Markeith, Markeith Morris. Morris that's Markeith one. Morris. Markeith, that's he, and that was an absolute cheap shot from Jokic. Mm-hmm. You know, one that 100%. he never seems to be bothered by much, and he just absolutely drilled Markeith Morris. And and then. Morris decided that he was just done for the year. He didn't play any the rest of the year because back pain after that. Yeah, and, you know, couldn't happen to a better guy. Markeith and, and his his yeah. twin brother are just goons is all they are. Yeah. But 
Um, but yeah, there's some bad blood there with Jimmy and Jokic. I think, you know, Jimmy Butler is coming in hot after a game seven. I, uh, I, I, I reached out to cold takes exposed because you, uh, lovingly liked my tweet. I mean, I, I mean, when they announced you noticed when I did that too, <laughs> uh -huh. I, uh, I, I thought, you know, based on the referees that were assigned to that game, Boston was, it could not have been a worse trio of referees I, between no. John Goble and Scott Foster and, uh, um, Tony Brothers. Tony Brothers to referee a Game Seven Eastern yeah. Conference Finals game. I mean, they that was just awful. I saw a tweet where Boston, with that combination, Boston was like sixteen and zero, and that was the tweet that I I put on. Like, all right, Denver, go ahead and chart your flight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a landslide in game. I don't th the referees weren't going to help. I mean, I think that the beatdown that they were that Miami issued Boston, there was not a single referee that was going to help. And at some point, you know, Adam Silver told him, "Like, look, guys, just call the game. There's not much yeah. we can do." <laughs> Leave no doubt. That's what Spolster told everybody. Leave yeah. no doubt. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, so you've got Nuggets and six. I think Nuggets and six. I think the Heat will win one, maybe two. If you press me, Nuggets and six. I could see him doing it in five. But I'll say Nuggets in six. Yeah, I lean Nuggets. Uh, rest can kind of help you or hurt you when you've got nine days of rest. Right. You know, if it were any other team that did not play in the altitude of Denver, you know, I may think that Miami would actually win game one in Denver uh, just because of, you know, rustiness and elevation change. and Yeah, rustiness. Um, but um, I think... I'm so hesitant to to rule against this Miami team. Sure. Feels like destiny. Uh, it does, but I feel like it's it's Jokic's destiny anyways. Mm -hmm. He's he's ready to take that make that Giannis. You know, Giannis won the two MVPs and it was like, okay, well now all he's gotta do is win a title and when is he gonna do it? And then he yeah. did it and it was his year. I feel like this is Jokic's year. I'd go Denver in seven, uh, with a little back and forth. Uh, however, I would be more likely to say Denver in six than Miami in seven. Does that yeah, make sense? It yeah. does. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think they have an answer for Jokic. I just don't know that. Nobody does. Bam you know? or Kevin Love or, or you, definitely Udonis Haslam. Like nobody's going to slow him down. And then if Jamal Murray continues, because it's one thing if Jokic, who if I'm not mistaken, passed Will Chamberlain for uh, like most triple doubles in the playoffs, but like yes. if you're you know, it's one thing if he's getting his numbers, you know that's going to happen. But when he's getting a triple-double and Jamal Murray's scoring 30-and-a-half and Aaron Gordon's giving you 21, like, there's not many teams on this planet that's going to beat them right now. Right. And not enough attention is being paid to Jamal Murray for after that Western Conference Finals series. Absolutely. He was absolutely incredible. Bubba absolutely. Murray is back. Uh, and the only reason why he's not getting more credit is because Jokic has just been that much better. So good. And so... Uh, it's going to be a fun series because the styles, you know, styles make fights. And if there's anybody that can guard Jokic, I would prefer it to be somebody like Bam, who is a little smaller, more athletic, mm -hmm. you know, more versatile, big, rather than somebody, you know, like, you know, who uh, Anthony Robert Davis Williams, you know, yeah. like I'm, I was Al thinking Horford. out of the East, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Al Horford or you know somebody who's a little bit more, you know, heavy footed. You know, Bam, I think Bam can do it a little better, but nobody's going to do it well enough. No, and he's still going to get his triple doubles. He's still going to get his 30-piece, and uh, it's just it's going to be tough for Miami to overcome that. If the and, Nuggets 
are playing like that complete team that they are, there's nobody that's going to stop them. They could win this thing in five. But I look for Miami to win at least one, if not maybe both games at home, those first two games at home. And then Denver just Denver holds home court so well. The altitude, they play well at home. That place gets loud. And you know, it's their first their first trip to the NBA finals and they're gonna host it in Denver. Like, go ahead. Yeah. It's gonna be packed, man. It's gonna be cool. The last thing I'll say about it is that Denver was the one seed in the West. They're playing a eight seed out of the East, and they're still somehow able to play that nobody believes in this card. Yeah. And nobody is championing that cause more than the coach. And right. he is he is, you know, stepping in front of his team. He's being the shield for his team and he's the one that's being vocal about it. Like nobody believes in us, you know, and to his credit, he said it after game one against LA where everybody's talking about how, you know, they made an adjustment to guard Jokic and they may have found something. Well, in we won that game and we're gonna win the next one. And he backed it up and they swept him. And so they've got a swagger about them that can probably only be matched by Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going, I'm going Jokic, I'm going Murray, I'm going Nuggets in seven. So. Yeah. And and the last thing I'll say about it is just another testament to again, like I said earlier about trusting the process with the coaches. It's the same with the teams. Neither of these teams have gone out and signed these massive superstars. Heat you know, culture, they, baby. It's heat it's culture. It, heat culture is a real thing. They're, they've been to the they're the only they've been to the finals more than any other team since the year 2000. It's a real thing. Pat Riley has done a phenomenal job as the as the GM president of basketball operations down there. Just done a fantastic job of creating a culture there, and it just shows trust the process. Let the players develop within. Right? They went and got Bam on a on a cheap deal from Toronto. Jimmy Butler was on the outs with a lot of. Um, a lot of people that were, you know, he had had a tough time in Minnesota and, you know, you know Chicago, like it just nothing fits. So they got him cheap. They got an opportunity to get him, but no other big superstars. The Nuggets have drafted all these guys outside of maybe Aaron Gordon and like Bruce Bowen like or Bruce Brown. Like they haven't really right. chased a lot of big superstars. Trust the process. Let these guys develop and create your culture. And look what happens if you just slow play it. It just – you know, it, it helps me to believe a little bit more into what maybe, you know, Zach Klein and these guys are doing. May, maybe we can trust that process a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, heat culture is like Chris Vernon tweeted out the other day. For heat culture, this is their Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. I mean, they started in this game, in game seven against Boston. They started Jimmy Butler, Cody Martin, Bam, Gabe Vincent, uh, Max Struess. Uh, I believe – I know two of those were undrafted in Vincent and Strews. I'm not sure if Cody Martin was drafted by uh, Charlotte or not. Uh, and then uh, they got Jimmy – they traded for Jimmy. They drafted Bam. Bam was drafted and, there. I'm, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. And then uh, Duncan Robinson undrafted, Haywood Highsmith undrafted, and Kyle Lowry. Those are the only other three players that played in that game. This is the greatest – culture in basketball and maybe in professional sports right now mm-hmm. pat riley has been to has been an executive a coach or a player in 19 nba finals that's, that's incredible that's, you know the nba is celebrating their 75th season this year mm-hmm. he's been to 19 finals that is do some quick math quick 19 divided by 75 that is 25 percent of all finals that's Pat Riley has been involved in. 
That's wild, man. What a stat. Um, I heard a story the other day talking about heat culture. You know, Pat Riley, he is known for um, – I don't want to put make this sound wrong, but he's he's you've got to work. You've got to do your part. Everybody do your part. Do your and job. One of, one of the ways that he tests this is he has his players, you know, you have to show up to camp in shape. They're going to, you're going to be the, in the best shape of your life when you're playing for Miami Heat. And Chris Wallace, before in a stint, uh, before he got to the Grizzlies, was in the front office for the Miami Heat. And Chris Wallace, if you ever looked at Chris Wallace, he's a tubby guy, tall, bigger guy. Yeah. Pat Riley went into his office and said, I make our players and everybody involved in our organization work out because it shows discipline, you know, that you care about your body. You know, it's important to this team and this culture that everybody, you know, takes care of themselves. So he said, you get out there, you lose some weight, you get in shape, and I'll buy all your suits. And Chris Ball said, that's the best shape I've ever been in my life. And I had a whole bunch of free suits. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, Pat Riley is that dude that you want to play for. Just knows what he's doing. Um uh, points that team in the right direction. Caleb Martin was drafted by the Hornets and released. His brother Cody is still there. His twin brother Cody is still there. But um, just a bunch of guys that just want to play basketball, want to play basketball hard, and are winning basketball games. Yeah. And it's fun to watch. It's cool to see. You kind of hate the narrative, like you said, that they didn't take the regular season very serious. It's but, true, though. You but know. They, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They turned it on at the right time. They got to the play-in. They even lost the first play-in game. Like, that one didn't matter. And just and then won the second one, played their way through the playoffs, beating some, I mean, the Bucks, the Knicks, like some really good basketball teams on their the way Bucks, in. The the Knicks, and the Celtics. That's the one, the two, and the five. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's it just incredible run and testament to that team and that culture. And I think it'll be a fun finals. I don't see the nuggets blowing them out in these games. No, I just think they I have too much firepower. I don't think it's possible to blow out Miami. They play too hard and too yeah. together to blow them out, but it'll be fun to see the finals start tomorrow night at seven 30 and, uh, it's must see TV. I will be in my first night of vacation and I'm going to risk a lot of scorn from my wife by keeping up with it, but I'll have to. Yeah, I'll be parked on my couch watching it tomorrow night. And then, We're sports media now. I've got to do it. That's it. We have to. We've got the credentials somewhere, I'm sure. But, no. Drew, this is one of my favorite times of the year coming up as well. Starting Friday begins one of, if not the greatest championship experience, I was saying all of sports. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that regionals, baseball, mm-hmm. if you are a fan of the home team, the host, a host team is one of the most fun experiences in person to watch sports. Absolutely. Because it's one of those, it's like going to Hoover to watch the SEC tournament. You've got three or four games. You've got two games on Friday. You've got uh, four or three games on Saturday or three or four games on Saturday. I mean, you're playing nonstop. You go buy a ticket book, get your lawn chair, and watch all of them. It's great. You need sunscreen, but it's great. Yeah. There is a really good chance that I'm going to go up to uh, Conway and watch CCU. They are hosting a Super Regional here in Conway, Coastal Carolina University. We're actually a very good baseball team, 39-19 this year. Um, have a really good shot at being a 
uh, a team going to Omaha. I'm going to watch that regional, and it's just so much fun. I was there in 07 when I was at Mississippi State. Uh, we hosted a uh, – we were uh, playing against Clemson. We worked our way into the Supers, beat Clemson to go on a team that should not have been in the College World Series, one of our worst baseball teams, but beat Florida State, uh, beat Clemson, worked our way in. Um, just an incredible experience, so much fun. And then it leads to the College World Series where our two teams have had success the last two times we were there, but just creates just a great championship atmosphere. Right, um, so the top 16 seeds in the NCAA baseball regionals, uh, the top 16 seeds are the host sides for the regionals. Wake Forest is your one seed to no surprise. Florida got the two seed, Arkansas the three seed, Clemson, and then LSU at the five, SEC champions, Vanderbilt at six, Virginia, and then Stanford, Miami, the U is at nine. Like you say, Coastal Carolina out of a no-name division in Conway, South Carolina is fun the belt, tenth. Baby. Fun belt. The, the fun belt is the tenth overall seed. Uh, Oklahoma State is the eleven. Kentucky is the twelve seed. Auburn and then the Fighting Larry Birds of Indiana State at fourteen. South Car- yeah, and South Carolina at fifteen. In Alabama at 16. That's one, two, three, four, eight. eight SEC schools out of the top 16, which is not really even a surprise. Especially after we talked about a couple weeks ago, our record against the field, the SEC dominates college baseball year in and year out. And so you should not be surprised that half of the regional sites are in SEC stadiums. Right. And so I know that you want to get in. You've created a bracket here that you've sent to me. Um, and so we're going to go through Rusty's bracket, uh, which will more than likely, if not completely be wrong, certainly be wrong. Uh, what's always, and you know, from, from two fans of teams here that are frequently in the regionals, we know how this works. When you're hosting a regional, the first thing you look at is who you're paired up against in the bracket for super regionals. And so that's how you, you you look at your own pool, but honestly, if you're hosting, especially if you are if you are a national seed, which is the top eight, which guarantees you home field in the supers, uh, if you're a top eight seed, uh, you're looking to see who you're matched up with. And so, Rusty, and go through your bracket. Really good matchups. Oh, uh, real quick, I wanted to get to uh, uh, a couple of things. So, first off, I know you've got the story for us, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats are hosting a regional for the first time in their new ballpark. And they are not equipped to host this type of event. Tell us about it, Rusty. So they had a a little bit of a snafu. So it's the same weekend of a major country music festival that's happening there. And so there are no hotels available within an hour of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, So West Virginia – who I think is a sneaky good baseball team. They're the two seed in that um, regional. West Virginia is the two. Indiana is the three. Ball State is the four. Are going to be staying in Kentucky University of Kentucky dorm rooms. They sent out a guide about on-campus housing. They're charging each uh, each team $185 a room to stay in the dorms. And so you're going to have a suite of uh, if you do, uh, it's ninety-two fifty per night with a shared bathroom per room, um, and so they're going to have to stay in university housing 
because they don't have any any uh, hotels available. It's a Lexington's not a massive town. Paired that with a country music festival leads to no rooms, no room at the end. Well, you know two things. First, you know that this is a surprise that the baseball team is good because this would never happen in Oxford or Starkville, no. where they would plan a outdoor concert, a, a festival on regionals weekend. It just wouldn't Absolutely happen. Not. Secondly, it sucks for the fans and for the players too because when they set up these regionals, they try to keep the teams in the region. region. It's you a know? regional. So you've right? got Ball State, which is in Ohio, right? I uh, think or, so. Indi- or Indiana. Then you've got Indiana and West Virginia, which are all in driving distance. It's you know, in West Muncie, Virginia, Indiana. In Indiana. So you've got teams, you know, West Virginia is the furthest away, but they're the two seats, so they've got the most reason to travel. That's not even that, I mean, really not even that far to Morgantown, theoretically. Right. And so it just really sucks for the fans coming in because it's such a special experience to go to an SEC town, to a regional. Uh, Like I said, for all the reasons that we've said before, it's just a lot of fun and something you really want to be a part of. And to have to stay in the dorms is just a real kick to the stomach. That's a bummer, man. And then the, the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick is, have you seen the comments from Kansas State head ball coach uh, Pete Hughes about them being left out? I haven't. Uh, I saw where he made comments, but if you've got the quotes, I'd like to hear them. It's a decently long quote, so hang with me for a second. It's not too bad, but he said, The Division One baseball committee and the system failed Kansas State, our program, and our seniors. It was obvious that the committee overemphasized the RPI, a flawed metric. The regional disparities of the RPI are glaring and are and were still used as a tool to form, shape, and make decisions. The most important criteria that has zero gray area, zero is bold and in quotes, emphasized, zero gray area is head-to-head competition. It's definitive. Someone wins, someone loses. We were left out in place of two teams that we finished ahead of in overall conference play and also two teams that we beat head-to-head. Why play the games if the records are not valued? When did we stop rewarding winning? It's inexplicable and disappointing. Our players and community deserve better. And that's a shout to shout, a stab to a future SEC program in uh, University of Oklahoma. And I think the other one was also future SEC uh, Texas Longhorns. Yeah. So if you look at and he, you know, they do use the RPI and you can have your beef with the RPI if you'd like to. I think it is a flawed metric, and that's the reason why in basketball they developed the net rating and kind of went away from the RPI. But what basically, uh, for all of you that are not sure what the RPI is, basically it's the it looks at the opponents you've lost to record. You know it. So if you lost to uh, say Oklahoma, but Oklahoma went and lost to say, you know northern northwest oklahoma state community college then the fact that oklahoma lost to them reflects poorly on you mm-hmm. you know does that make sense yep and so you you i mean i'll hear his argument based on rpi but what i think happened because old miss's rpi wasn't great last year but i've got the rpis pulled up here um the teams above kansas state here in rpi they finished 55th in rpi in, they only take 48 teams. Yeah. So above our, above Kansas State, Notre Dame, USC, Arizona State, Mississippi State had the 51st RPI. Uh, Missouri, who was abysmal in the SEC with a 30-24 and 24 record, 
above them. UC Irvine, Louisiana, uh, Virginia Tech, Louisiana Lafayette, Kent State. Uh, yeah. Their RPI hurt them. I mean, Big time. You, you can say I don't believe in the RPI, and, I, you know, that's his belief, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's some merit to that. But that's what they use. It's what they've used forever to, you know, to break ties, basically. Well, it's and the reason that business. Auburn is hosting over Southern Miss, even though, and that's a big John Cohen point. You know, he's now the head, he's the AD at Auburn and got them hosting over Southern Miss. And I think Southern Miss is going to go down there and whip their tail because they're angry. Well, but And Southern Miss uh, with a 21 RPI, Auburn 19. If you're going to say that anybody should have hosted over Auburn, uh, the team with the 13th RPI, the Campbell Camels, Oh, huge miss! Man. Was a like, was a snub, and they you know they came out and they said it was it was about like capacity too because they have a small stadium, but they I get had that, but, but they, they had volunteered to move it to the uh, minor league stadium there in Fayetteville, host it there. I get that, but then you were you know Indiana State's you know yeah uh, they were the ninth RPI, so I mean it was you know a little bit better, but you know they don't have the capacity. Mm-mm. So it just it felt like it's it not a perfect very, system. No, it, and it felt very much good old boy by like under the table kind of dealing this year to get some of those powerhouses where they should be when you should have had give Campbell a shot to host. Campbell's a sneaky good team and they can pitch, which is going to help them a lot in this postseason. Um, well, if you look it, at what happened to Ole Miss last year, they benefited from name recognition. They benefited from John Cohen being the athletic director at the time at Mississippi State and former baseball coach at Mississippi State vouching for Mike Bianco. He knows that program as well as anybody that is not in the Ole Miss dugout, you know, and because of name recognition. But the difference is the teams that got left out were teams like Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. and NC State. They weren't names. You know, Kansas State isn't a name either, but when you're comparing it to teams like Indiana State, you know, and then yeah. John Cohen, the now athletic director at Auburn, got his team in. That's, yeah, that's where he drew the line, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so that kind of sets the stage for walking into regionals this weekend. We can kind of go through the different regionals and if you got any teams that stand out, but uh, we kind of walk through who uh, I predict and you can kind of tell me where I'm wrong. I'm sure there'll be plenty of those. Um, but we'll start with the number one overall seed. That is the Wake Forest Demon Deacons of the ACC. Uh, got a decent draw. Maryland's a pretty good baseball team, but George Mason and Northeastern, I think Wake Forest, the number one overall seed, 47-10 and 10 record, phenomenal rotation, wins their home regional. Yeah, and these things, weird things happen in regionals. You know, as an Ole Miss fan, uh, we've never made the College World Series in which we hosted a super regional. <laughs> Uh, last year, we did not even host our own regional. We went as a three seed uh, and ended up winning it all. So weird things happen. Uh, like you said in a previous podcast, you don't want to be the number one overall seed. Uh, history tells you that. Last team uh, to win was the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. Right. And so I don't think that they're going to really struggle. I mean, I saw Maryland. They've got an ace on Friday night. Uh, luckily, the way that this goes, Maryland will have the decision to make. Do you throw your ace? In game one against Northeastern, or do you wait and hope you win despite throwing your number two guy and then save your number one guy for a winner's bracket matchup against possibly, probably Wake Forest? Uh, but, yeah, I don't think anybody uh, – Wake Forest is good. Ole Miss went eight and one against the Big Ten this year, uh, Big Ten champions out of the out of the SEC. And so, uh, yeah, I think Wake Forest wins it. Yeah, walking away, and they are paired with the 16 overall seed, 
the Alabama Crimson Tide hosting in Tuscaloosa, which has been a cool story after firing their head coach. Now they're hosting a regional, and at one point in the season, they weren't even in the conversation. But they got Boston College, who's a good baseball team, Troy, who typically is good, and then Nichols from uh, Louisiana. I think Alabama gets the joy of winning their own regional and facing Wake Forest in the Supers. Yeah, Bama's going to end up messing around and hiring their interim, even though he may or may not be the best guy for the job. Uh, but, yeah, I, this this regional for me doesn't seem very challenging uh, for Alabama, which is the 16th seed in the uh in the regional i mean in the you know in the regional so they were the last team picked to host alabama's rpi is 11 and uh boston college the number two is is 18 so they're pretty close there but i tend to always side with uh, the sec schools because i see them play all the time and i know any conference that gets eight hosts uh is legit and, it and takes Alabama's a just scrapping. They're, they're yeah. a decent baseball team. They're coming together. They believe in this interim head coach. It's Matt Luke, right? He's got them fired up, heading the right direction. I think that Alabama wins. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next regional you've got, you've got the one seed Miami in the Coral Gables regional. The defending champion Ole Miss Rebels decide to set out this regional this year. <laughs> uh, and Miami will play Maine. Your your guys from up northeast, black bears, the, the main black bears, in the first round, and then uh, Louisiana. I will not uh, Louisiana. Don't call me Louisiana Lafayette. Raging Cajuns <laughs> play Texas. Uh, Texas being the two seed in that regional. Texas with an RPI of 28 this year, very down for them. Um, and Miami's RPI is 12. Uh, so you, you've got the U coming out of here alive i don't i have a problem picking a a home team to lose a regional two years in a row um and the three seed louisiana uh, i don't think they're going to be old miss of last year <laughs> no so uh, i think they could upset texas but i don't know that they could upset miami fun fact my first ever recruiting trip that i ever went on was to the mississippi state main game <laughs> that, oh yeah that main was Maine recruiting you no, Mississippi State. And, that, <laughs> yeah. and, and Maine won 9-7 in uh, 2004. It was ugly, man. It's like, Ooh, mm. I remember that game. That was <laughs> great. That was the Kroom years, right? Yeah. Ooh, that was ugly. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we, yeah. Coach Kroom walks in the M Club, and he goes, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, I could see Texas getting hot being that Cinderella team. You know, you look at underseeded teams that's got talent that maybe just haven't figured it out. You know, Texas has got talent. The, the players are there, yeah. and so, you know, you look at that, but, yeah, you've got the U. I won't argue with you. I'm, I didn't fill out a bracket, so I'm just going to give commentary and not pick anything. So I'm putting my neck out there for my for our listeners. Y'all listen. <laughs> y'all know that I am I am going for it. I'm probably going to be wrong, much like my college football picks, but we're in this thing. Yeah, so in the next one, uh, another regional being hosted in Palo Alto, uh, the uh, Stanford Cardinal. Uh, the two seed in that regional is SEC foe Texas A&M, three seed Cal State Fullerton, a traditional power, even though they haven't been great as of late. In the early 2000s, they State. were Omaha mainstay. Right. So uh, you've got Stanford coming out of this regional. You're going very chalk so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got Stanford beating San Jose State and whoever comes out between Texas A&M and Fullerton. I think that A&M is dangerous this year. Yeah, they've got that. 
that swag late. You know, baseball is all about hitting your peak at the right time. You not to keep bringing it up because you know I'm humble. But Ole Miss got hot at the right time last year, and you know, even as a state fan, you admit that's what that's what helps more than anything is being hot at the right time in baseball. Absolutely, goes a and, long way. And uh, A&M went on a run in Hoover, which basically that run in Hoover to the title game sealed them as a two seed. You know, they were kind of bubbleish. You know, they finished 36 and 25. You know, kind of what Ole Miss was last year. You were kind of bubbleish, but that that deep run in Hoover got them up to the two seed. And so, if there's an upset that I've seen so far, it's Stanford. You remember Stanford went into Omaha last yeah. year as uh, the highest seed in our side of the bracket mm-hmm. and went 0 and 2 in Omaha. Right. You know, lost yeah. to, lost Absolutely. to uh, Arkansas and then to Auburn in two games in Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, uh, that was one I went back and forth about because the Aggies are hot. They're playing good baseball right now. They are trending in the right direction. Um, and so that was a tough one for me. I went with the home team because it's a long way out to Palo Alto. Stanford is traditionally a team like Arkansas that makes it to a super, if not Omaha, and then fizzles out. So I went with the Stanford Cardinal there. Yeah. So. Uh... Baton Rouge is the next host site that we're going to go for. Oh, dude, like um, we've got an epic matchup, a potential of an epic of two college baseball powerhouses here. Ooh, you talking about Tulane? <laughs> the 1940. <Tulane>. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it, yeah. So LSU uh, is paired up. We know we like to keep these local. They, the NCAA likes to keep these local. So you've got LSU, Tulane, located in New Orleans, Sam Houston State from East Texas, and Oregon State. <laughs> so Oregon State drawing the two seed against LSU. Um, Tulane, the best story so far, made a run in the American tournament. They had no sh- no shot of of being in the tournament, less a conference title win. They went and knocked out ECU uh, in the uh, American Conference Tournament championship game to enter as the four seed in this bracket with a record of 19 and 40. It's the greatest story in baseball right now. Uh, however, it's going to end very poorly for them yeah. uh, in that first game. When I'm sure LSU will probably they hold. They will throw Paul Skeens. Yeah, they'll probably hold Paul Skeens for a matchup against Oregon State. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? You know, yeah, you called Oregon State man, a like, powerhouse. It's cool, man. LSU is a perennial Omaha mainstay. They've won a ton of national championships, followed closely by the Oregon State Beavers, who always seem to be there. They're that team that's always good. They put out Mississippi State in 07. They've been there a ton. They've got a great baseball facility. I went there on a trip uh, when I was in college. Uh, it It was a great experience. Beautiful ballpark in a valley up there in Corvallis. Wait, you went where? To Corvallis, to Oregon State. You you took a trip to Oregon State? Yeah, I went with the FCA, went up there and did a, a mission Oh, trip. I thought you were talking about recruiting. Shoot. No. No. This was like Wait, when I was in college. We went up there to help like do some work and div- plan an FCA up you there. You weren't Division anyway. one good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I remember um, my dad used to hold me up and say, that boy right there, that's a ball player, you know. <laughs> yeah, back in the, in the ancient times. Yeah. But moving right along, Oregon State. Perennial powerhouse in the out of the Pac-12. It's a it's one of those like cool historical matchups. Oregon State is not as good as they usually are. They're still a very sneaky good baseball team, 
but LSU Oregon State will be a great matchup if nothing else for the history but I did state chalk here and so far all one seeds winning I picked LSU to win come out of this one because they're one of the best teams on paper in baseball injuries and not playing up to par and getting swept by your Mississippi State Bulldogs in the last weekend of the season um it just leads to I don't know looking at them on paper they should be one of the final four teams if not final two teams in Omaha that was a this was a fairly easy pick for me yeah and Oregon State last year which uh got put out in the super regionals by Auburn uh it's the only time in my life I've cheered for Auburn because uh, Oregon State had a bona fide ace uh, that everybody was scared of, but Auburn outlasted them in three games last year. Because uh, that would have been old, that was Auburn was Ole Miss's first opponent in Omaha, and so we were really rooting for Auburn instead of Oregon State. So uh, they choked that time. Um, yeah, Oregon State, most famously known for the best executed foul ball of all time yeah. in 2019. Uh, just out of the reach of the Arkansas second baseman. Uh, but, yeah, LSU's just got star power from top to bottom. Like Tommy yeah. Smokes, Cade Beloso, Paul Skeens, you, uh, the center fielder, uh, uh, Dylan, uh, Dylan Cruz. Yeah, he's – they're – it loaded. would be one of the biggest upsets of all time if they don't get out of their own regional. Yeah, I mean it's been said multiple times. Paul Skeen is pitching in the Skeens is pitching in the wrong league. He should be in the American or the National right now. I mean, guys are just a ready-made pro, um, and that's a that's a pretty easy pick. But they are paired in the Lexington regional with my first upset. Yeah. So uh, is this pulling at your heartstrings? No, I mean, I spent some time in West Virginia. I like it up there, but they're a good baseball team. They're deep. They hit the ball well. They got some good pitching. They played well in the Big 12 this year. Um, and I just, I'm not, I don't have a big believer in Kentucky, man. Like, they're they're good. I projected them to finish third in the East, and they played good baseball. I just don't know that they have the tools to be a deep, deep team in the College World Series this year. Yeah, so uh, they are matched up. Uh, Auburn is matched up with Penn out of the Ivy League. Oh, skipped it. We're talking about Kentucky, West oh, Virginia. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Indiana and Ball way. State. Yeah, so uh, I'll save that then. But, yeah, so West Virginia is the uh, – see, Kentucky – what did I say? Kentucky was Kentucky RPI. Oh, overall, the see. number two RPI team in the country. Uh, surprise, surprise. You wouldn't have believed that. West Virginia is the 24th in RPI. Mm-hmm. And then Penn and Sanford, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Indiana and Ball State. Um, what's Indiana? Indiana's, you know, that's where. Uh, They're 30th. Kyle Schwarber, baby. Yeah, and and that's where uh, your boy came from. Uh, your, your ball coach at Mississippi State. Oh yeah, Chris Mullins came was from there. from Indiana. Yep, Chris Mullins there, the the forever Cub legend, and Kyle Schwarber was from Indiana. Uh, was a catcher on that team that made it to Omaha. Yeah, so to me, it seems like the only competition would probably be from Kentucky and West Virginia. I'm not really buying either of the three or four seeds, so I have no problem with you picking West Virginia. They're gonna be pissed off because all their parents are staying in dorm rooms. Yeah, exactly. So. Now uh, the regional you were so eager to get to. Yeah, so this one, 
Uh, if the state of Mississippi is going to go for a three-peat, it's got to be Southern Miss. Yeah. And Southern Miss is paired up as the two-seed in the Auburn-Alabama regional. Uh, Auburn, the one-seed. Then you got Penn and Stanford uh, – Samford, rather. Out of Birmingham. The Stanford of Alabama. Yeah. Uh, Which ain't uh, saying much. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Samford probably deserves to, to get some credit here. Because if nothing else, they put a bunch of really good players in the transfer portal every year. <laughs> um, yeah, Auburn, listen, I think they're fine. I think that, you know, they finished at 34 and 21. They, uh, let's see, where did they end up in the RPI? Rusty, do you know? Who's that? You'd- Auburn. Auburn is their top, uh, 19th. 19th in the RPI. They, they're they not a team that really stands out for – and it's the same story they had last year and they made the College World Series, but they don't do anything great. But right. they do a lot of things really well. And maybe and they that's a great head coach. Butch and Thompson, Butch Thompson takes, has those guys ready. He gets those guys believing, pointing in the right direction. You, know, you talk about Sanford putting people in the transfer portal, though. Colton Ledbetter, one of the big leaders from Mississippi State this year, transferred from Sanford, former SOCOM Player of the Year. Um, Auburn's good. But they're very beatable. They got a lot of flaws. Southern Miss is pissed that they're not hosting. There's been a lot of talk about that. Um, I think Southern's got some good pitching. Not a big fan of the Mustard Buzzards out of out of Hattiesburg, but I think they can they can upset Auburn and win that regional. And I don't know that it's necessarily that much of an upset. Southern Miss is a very good baseball team. Yeah, I uh, listen. I don't root for Southern Miss for the same reason I don't root. I mean, they hate Ole Miss. I don't care for them too much. Um, you know, however, I believe I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott Berry's going to retire after this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Berry, who is just a class act, a great yeah. coach who built that forever. program. Um, he's one of those guys that it's it's fun to root for guys like Scott Berry. And so, yeah, I'm rooting for Southern Miss. Uh, I love it when SEC teams lose. Um uh, and so we'll see what happens. Uh, with, I'm, I'm rooting for Southern Miss. If Southern Miss does come out of it, or Auburn or Sanford or Penn, they will match up with the Clemson, South Carolina Regional, yeah. uh, which consists of a two-seed, uh, the unequivocal regular season champs of <laughs> 2022, the Tennessee Volunteers, mm-hmm. as, long, as well as uh, U, uh, Lipscomb and Charlotte. Clemson is a team that I'm keeping an eye on. They are a good baseball team. They're deep. They hit the ball well. They've got solid pitching. They're the fourth overall seed, six in the RPI. They play really good baseball. And they're a team that I think has got a really good shot at being one of those final few teams in Omaha. Sorry, Clemson fans, Lauren and Stacy. That's a kiss of death. I fully recognize that. But I think Clemson wins this regional. It's a chalk pick. They're the number one overall seed in that in that regional, in their home regional. But I I don't know. I like Clemson, man. I, I think they got a real shot. Yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at that, I'm not really ever been a big believer in Clemson. They've they've had teams that are really good before. Um, I'm going to take Tennessee there, just because I think Tennessee's got more players. Tennis Tennessee's fine. Tennessee's good. Tennessee's been there. I mean, you hate them for it, but they've got that swagger about them. Um, and I just don't buy Clemson. I don't buy the ACC. You know, their two best teams were uh, were uh, Wake Forest and Clemson. 
And Florida then, State for the first time in what twenty five years. So you've got uh, Wake Forest, Wake Forest, Clemson, and then um, Virginia, Mi- Virginia and Miami. So maybe maybe I'm being a little harsh there. Uh, those are all have RPIs in the top twelve. So maybe I'm being a little harsh, but um, Tennessee's shown it to me more recently than Clemson has. Uh, they're a year removed from going what they go. 25 and 5 in the SEC That's last year. Just something stupid. Yeah. So, all right, let's go to the other side of the bracket. So, uh, all of the teams that we've mentioned so far are, or do you want to do second round, go all the way to the College Board Series here? Or let's regroup after. We'll after regroup it where, where we're at. We'll go ahead and keep keep trucking along through the regionals. So, these, these teams will be on the opposite side <laughs> of the bracket when they make it to Omaha. Starts off with the number one seed, the number two overall seed, the Florida. The Florida Gators uh, have a pretty easy two-seed in UConn. Uh, I just don't buy it. This is two years in a row they've been in the regional, uh, and they are solid. But uh, the tricky part last year, yeah. The tricky part is their three-seed, which is a perennial powerhouse mm-hmm. and an, an Omaha mainstay in Texas Tech, uh, and and uh, then you've got Florida A&M, which and is. You, you know, participate. U- UConn at the two seeds got a 22 RPI. Uh, definitely kind of a, an overvalued team there. I agree. I mean, Texas Tech, is, they're not the Texas Tech of old. They're a good baseball team. I think Florida's got a pretty easy path, not only out of the regionals, but even out of the super regionals. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of how it happens. You know, if you're, if you're the top dog overall, you're going to get the easiest matchup. Uh, yep. So... Texas Tech, um, just doing a quick deep dive on them real quick if my computer will load up quick enough. Uh, they finished 39 and 21 overall, which is respectable, you know. Uh, in the Big 12, I'm trying to find their record here. Um, we may just have to uh, to hold that spot there for a second as I'm my computer's being a little slow. But Texas Tech is a perennial powerhouse. Um, I remember they went 12 and 12 in the Big 12 this year. They only played 24 games in the Big 12. I guess there's only 10 teams. So, mm. um, okay. Well, that's not very encouraging. But I guess that's what that's one of the teams that uh, Kansas State was griping about. It was. It was Texas <laughs> yeah. Tech and Oklahoma. They had two. Yeah. They only had two players on the All Big 12 team this year. Not they're not the Texas Tech of old. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's the team to watch. You're looking at a three seed. Ole Miss was a three seed last year with name recognition. Maybe it's Texas Tech, but I've saw I saw that Florida team play in person twice this year. They're really good, really yeah. really good. So they'll they'll match up with South Carolina, which is a potential SEC's matchup in the Super Regionals. Teams that are very familiar with each other. Uh, the two seed in that regional is the team that we thought kind of got snubbed for a host side, the Campbell Camels. Uh, the best uh, paired alliteration name of all time, uh, the Campbell Camels. Uh, the three seed, the NC State Wolfpack, who have been really good the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, just imagine if they had kept Tommy White, what that record would have been. Yeah. Uh, and Central Connecticut State, which is, they're happy to be here. Yeah, exactly. And I picked the Campbell Fighting Camels out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, to come out of this. They're a good baseball team. They're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder, A, because they're a smaller school, B, because they got snubbed out of a host uh, by our former AD, John Cohen. 
and or at least he's taking all the heat for it. But I think Campbell comes out of this and faces the Florida Gators in the Supers. Yeah, so South Carolina being the host team, uh, South Carolina had an RPI of do 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 eight, and Campbell, as we said earlier, had an RPI of thirteen. Uh, NC State, for that matter, had an RPI of twenty three. So I think hands down, this is the toughest regional yeah, so far. So far, yeah. Which, which I mean, if you look at South Carolina was the fifteenth overall seed, it kind of comes with the territory, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna barely make it into the host site, uh, make the competition a little stiffer. And so they gave the hardest two seed to the arguably the least favorite one seed. Uh, and they did that, I'm sure, because of regionality. You know, you've got South Carolina, NC State, and Camel, you know, all in the two Carolinas. So yeah. um, compare that just real quick uh, because I'm curious – Compare that with Alabama, who was the 16th seed. Uh, they got Nichols, Troy, and Boston College. You would have much rather been the 16th seed. Yeah, this year. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, next, you've got your boys in uh, Conway, South Carolina, the Chanticleers, Coastal Carolina as the host site. Uh, the two seed there is Duke. The three seed is UNC Wilmington. And the fourth seed is your nephew, Ryder. <laughs> Spelled a little different. They're uh, they're from New Jersey and not Mickey, Tennessee. But okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Sean's up. CCU pulls out the win. Chanticleers are playing good baseball deeper this year. They got hotter and better as the season went on. Um, it's a great ballpark. Like I said, I may make my way up there on Saturday. It's a great place to go watch baseball. It's a it's a cool venue. Coastal's got a really nice campus. And I think they're going to be a wonderful host for all their teams from Carolina plus Ryder from New Jersey, and they're going to win. I think they'll be facing Florida in the Supers. And so Coastal Carolina's 23-10 and 10 this year at home. Um, they do play in a very weak conference in which they dominate, but yeah. it's still – baseball's funny, and you still got to win the games. Yep. So, um, and I, I think they – and I said Florida the Supers. I Kind of a little spoiler alert, I have them going a little bit further because I'm not convinced, much like you – and I may be dead wrong on this about their super uh, uh, compadres over there in the Virginia Cavaliers. Yeah, so that takes us to the next one. You've got uh, Virginia the Cavaliers is the one seed at 45 and 12. They are the uh, number seven overall seed in the Tenth tournament. In the RPI. Yeah, uh, they have a tough number two in East Carolina perennial. Uh, perennial super regional team that mm-hmm. hasn't made it to the big dance yet. Uh, three seed Oklahoma Sooners, who uh, most famously got beat by Ole Miss in the College World Series championship series, swept, just God. beat the brakes off of them. Just, they should have just retired the whole program right now. The wheels fell off of that wagon, just as we've all seen on the football field that one time. Boomer Sooner. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the fourth seed is our nation's finest. Happy Memorial Day to everybody uh, who has loved ones that play for uh, Army West Point. Mm-hmm. The they, they made sure to distinguish that it is Army West Point. You know, it's cool to see a uh, one of our service teams be there, so I'm a root for them to win maybe one or two games, but I don't know that they have the dog in them to uh, come out of Charlottesville with a uh, uh, with the win there. No, if they were fighting a different battle, I'd pick them, but not all, all in baseball. Day. Um, uh, yeah, all day. What I'm rooting for, uh, a former Ole Miss assistant uh, coaches for East Carolina, and he's really been the guy that spurned this whole revival there. 
uh, at uh, where where do they where do they Greenville? Greenville South, uh, Greenville North, Greenville North Carolina, Greensboro. Uh, I think it's Greenville, uh, South Carolina, right? Mm, it's from there in North Carolina. Okay. Anyways, um, my man there at uh East Carolina, Chris uh Cliff Godwin, has really uh, okay North Carolina. Uh, it's really brought a revival there. He was the Ole Miss hitting coach for a long time. Uh, I really root for him. Mike Bianco paid him a big favor last year and tried to schedule them in non-conference series uh, in Oxford uh, to get their RPI up, you know. Um, and so uh, he, Cliff Godwin's also one of the main coaches that's always in talks for big jobs. Uh, and so if he could make it to the – Omaha one time and it would really just cement his legacy there uh he was a former East Carolina player and so he really loves that town that university and he wants to do it at East Carolina before he moves and so I'm really rooting for East Carolina there um I don't know much about Virginia if I'm being honest with you other than they're just a big name in college baseball uh, but what I'm rooting for is East Carolina. Yeah, they've got the seventh RPI. They're 32 and four at home. They're, I mean, they're a good baseball team. They're deep. They, they had a good showing in the ACC this year. Uh, East Carolina is a 26 uh, RPI, 12 and nine on the road. So it's just, it's, it's tough to upset some of these teams at home. Again, ECU is a, is a feel good story. They got a ton of swagger, but I don't know if they can upset Virginia. Um, They've got you, the jungle out in the left field mm-hmm. uh, with all their students. I, I really root for East Carolina here. I hope they – I'm that, that's that's one team I'm I'm absolutely cheering for in this tournament. Yeah. I really want them to do good. Cliff has got them to host the last two years. Uh, they're a two-seed this year. I'm really pulling for East Carolina. Um, and uh, the next matchup we've got here is the one-seed – the uh let's see the sixth overall seed of the sec east vanderbilt commodores uh two seed in that regional is oregon followed by xavier and eastern illinois i don't see how vandy has any trouble in this region very easy regional won't spend a lot of time there uh vandy boys advance to face the winner of the oklahoma state the stillwater regional yeah and that includes dbu and that is not LSU. That is Dallas Baptist University yeah. uh, out of Dallas, Texas. Washington Huskies and uh, Bob Roberts, uh, Oral Roberts, of the four seed there. Yeah. You know, Dallas Baptist is a good mid-major program. They were in the Super Regional last year in Columbia. Um, they are two years ago. They were a very good they're a very good Missouri Valley Conference team. Their uh, RPI, I think they're pretty high. Oh, they were small. really high. They were, um, let me, I got it pulled up here. For Dallas Baptist was 16. 16th uh, RPI. They're in an overall week. I'm not a huge believer in Oklahoma State, who is 17th in the RPI. One spot behind Dallas Baptist for all you RPI junkies out there looking at you, baseball committee. Um, I think Dallas Baptist comes out of this, man. They're good. They're a fun story. There's always that one mid-major. It's usually Cal State Fullerton. It's been Dallas Baptist in the past. It's been Rice. There's these different teams that find a way to win in this time of the year. Give me Dallas Baptist. DBU advances to play Vanderbilt. Yeah, can you tell me the famous DBU uh, alum? 
I know nothing about them other than watching, seeing their stats and researching for tonight. <laughs> oh, really? So they've got, they've actually got a storied history with uh, I mean, yeah. Major League Baseball players. Yeah, they've uh, had a lot of prospects. Ryan Goins. Yeah. Um, former St. Louis Cardinal Jason LaRue. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, Cliff Pennington used to pitch for the Oakland Athletics and most famously Thor himself, Noah Syndergaard. It's a was uh, oh, that's right. College yeah, baseball about that. at Dallas Baptist University. That Dan Hefner is their head coach. He had him in uh, a regional in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and then 21 actually made a super regional. Yep. So uh, I always look at Washington here. Uh, so Washington came and played a regional in Oxford uh, that I was in attendance for, and uh, they were the two seed in the Oxford regional. And after they got put out, uh, after every game, the fans would go over into right field, which is the student section, and they just threw a, joined us right in the party. <laughs> and it got to the point to where they became such good pals with everybody out there that all of Ole Miss student section stuck around <laughs> and cheered for them through the consolation. Because I don't believe – no, we did. We ended up playing them, but they didn't make it to the championship final. You know, they got put mm-hmm. out pretty quick. Uh, but yeah, they were a lot of fun cool. to, to be around. So, um, next we've got the fighting Larry birds. <laughs> the, uh, they were ended up being the 14th overall seed and they draw Iowa, Wright state and North Carolina, uh, as a three seed, North Carolina, three seed is tough. That's tough. Uh, North Carolina with a 27th RPI. They're 9-8 and eight on the road, 35-22 and 22 overall. They're better than their record shows, and they're an ACC team, which is, you know, uh, as we can see, they're one of the deeper conferences behind the SEC this year. But Indiana State's got a ninth, uh, ninth overall RPI. I, I believe in them, man. They're doing the research for tonight. They seem like a good baseball team. Again, they're in the, uh, the Missouri Valley Conference. I, I, you know, not a baseball powerhouse conference, but – Dallas Baptist is right there. Dallas Baptist now CS, uh, CS, uh, Conference USA, a former Missouri Valley uh, Conference team. Indiana State's got a shot, man. Yeah, I mean, sure, any team with a record of 42-15 and 15 hosting a regional, um, they've earned it, you know. Maybe this year less than others when you think of teams like Camel and whatnot. But, uh, you know, Indiana State with a ninth overall RPI, like you said, uh, Iowa has an RPI of 32, and North Carolina, as a three seed, has a higher RPI at 27. Mm-hmm. That's a tough two-three matchup you're going to get uh, in the winners bracket if you make it past Wright State, who perennially has a really good team for their level. They've not made right. that jump into actually competing for uh, super regionals before, but they are a solid team uh, historically. So, and I was only our second Big Ten team. Like they're not from a baseball conference. So that 42 and 14 record might be a little skewed by how bad the big 10 is at baseball. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would probably just have to go North Carolina here just because they're the name. They're the one that's been there before. You know, they were in the supers last year against Arkansas. And so, uh, you know, you've got Iowa state and then you've got them paired up in super in the super to be played in Fayetteville against Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas draws TCU as a two seed, Arizona as a three seed, and Santa Clara as the four seed. Uh, what jumps out to me here, Arizona, uh, Ole Miss has played them in the last two postseasons. Uh, Arizona made it to the College World Series in 21, 
and Ole Miss put them out in 22 as the two seed in Coral Gables. And TCU, who uh, may be reeling just a tad by their own standards since Jim Schlossenegel went to Texas A&M, Mm-hmm. But uh, for Arkansas to be the number three overall national seed to draw two power five teams in their draw, in their regional, I I think you've got a reason to be mad if you're an Arkansas fan. Yeah, I mean, that's tough, man, because Arizona, like you said, Arizona and TCU normally host regionals, if not supers, especially Arizona. That's a tough draw for Arkansas. I think they come out of it and, and continue to host into the super regionals, but if I'm, I'm like you, if I'm Arkansas, I'm a little bit upset by that draw, especially yeah. being, like you said, the third overall seed. That's one of the tougher regionals that we've covered, and they're the third overall seed. But I tell you what, it couldn't happen to a better fan base Absolutely. either. Absolutely. I could be happy. So we've got very – our closest family friends are huge Razorback fans. They're from Little Rock. Shout out to the Millers in North Little Rock, Arkansas, that I'm sure they're not listening, but I tell them, and I have told them to their face that they're obnoxious. My, they, uh, my uncle Scott, we call him uncle and aunt, my uncle Scott and aunt Lori, uh, the parents, the, my dad's and mom's closest friends are in, uh, Europe right now with my parents. And so nothing would make me happier than for them while they're in Europe to stay up. Cause currently it's probably, let's see, it is eight thirty-five local time. So it is about three thirty in the morning, their time. I would love for them to stay up every night at 3.30 to watch them lose in the regional to <laughs> TCU and then Arizona. <laughs> you know? yeah. So uh, couldn't, it couldn't happen to a better fan base. Absolutely. So we'll roll real quick through our supers. Um, first one being Wake Forest, Miami. And I think Miami's got a, you know, it's a, it's an ACC matchup. Miami's got a good team, but Wake, Wake, Wake Forest. Forest. Wake Forest and Bama. Oh, sorry, super. Yes, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Wake Forest and Alabama. I've got Wake Forest heading coming out of that. They're too good of a team. Number one overall seed. Wake Forest coming out of that. Yeah, and then you've got Miami versus Stanford, and you've I, got uh, the U coming out of that. And mm-hmm. I can't disagree with that. LSU uh, beating West Virginia and Clemson beating yeah. Country Roads. They're going to take them right back to Morgantown. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you've got. Uh, Southern Miss and Clemson with Clemson winning at home in that regional. Um, so on that side of the bracket, you've got Wake Forest, Miami, LSU, and Clemson, which is just about as chalk as it gets. But you picked uh, you picked Tennessee there. So in this in this theoretical, we've got Southern Miss and Tennessee. Who would you have coming out? Um, who do I want to win? I mean, I'd want Southern Miss there. Uh. No, Tennessee's going. Tennessee would beat Southern Miss. Yeah, I think so. I think that's where that's where Southern Miss falls apart. You know, they had one of their best seasons in in school history last year, and Ole Miss uh, swept them with a zero ERA. You know, Ole Miss mm-hmm. beat them five nothing, then ten nothing at Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg, and so I, and then they lost their two best pitchers. Mm-hmm. Or uh, did they lose their ace? Uh, I know Hurston Waldrop went to Florida. That was their Saturday I think, night. I think guy. they lost both of them. Yeah. Uh, 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 Barry is his last name. Uh, Josh Barry, Jacob Barry. Jacob. Uh, I want to say it was Josh Barry. I want to say he may have come back, but regardless, um, they're not as good this year as they were last year. So yeah, I'd, I'd pick Tennessee over Southern Miss. 
So that kind of rounds that out. So for me, it's Wake Forest, Miami, LSU, Clemson, and the same for you except for UT instead of uh, Clemson. So in the Supers, on the other side of the bracket, I've got Florida and Campbell. Uh, fighting Camels, run out of steam against an SEC powerhouse, and I think Florida wins that one fairly easily. Right, me too. Coastal Carolina and UVA, I think the upset there continues. I'm riding the shots all the way to Omaha. I think they upset Virginia. Again, Virginia is the 7 overall seed. CCU is the 10th overall seed. I think CCU goes up there, gets a win, and faces Florida in Omaha. Okay. Um, you had U, uh, ECU in that. Do you think ECU could beat CCU to go play Florida in the, in Omaha? Uh, yeah, sure. Of course I can. Uh, I mean, they're comparable. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, that'd be probably pretty evenly matched with, with CCU being the slight favorite. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they played earlier this year, this year and I think they went one and one, uh, in okay. Conway. So there you go. <laughs> Vandy and Dallas Baptist, uh, rounding out the the last side of our bracket. Vandy's the obvious choice there. They're a good yeah. baseball team. They're getting hot at the right time, which is stupid. They're a private school with all their dumb scholarships, and they're starting to win <laughs> like they always do. Not salty yeah. at all. Uh, and then you've got LSU, or I'm sorry, ISU, Illinois, Indiana State versus Arkansas. I'm um, sure I know which way you're leaning on that one. Yeah, I mean Arkansas. They they always Arkansas always finds a way to get late in the tournament before they fizzle out. I think they do it again right. this year, but they don't do it till they get to Omaha and they go down 0-1 to Vandy when they get there. So the way you have it, uh, and the way I have it, uh, is different. So you've got Vandy and Arkansas playing in the first round of Omaha, which would be must see TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would on the other side of the bracket, I'd have LSU and Tennessee as the first game in yeah. Omaha, which would be just great. I mean, they give you five SEC television. teams in Omaha. <laughs> yep. So uh, that's where we're going to leave this for right now. Uh, once the uh, super regionals are set, we'll talk about uh, individual matchups and who we think will make it to Omaha. Um, like Rusty said, this is uh, a ton of fun. Yeah. I, I love college baseball at this time of year. I love attending college baseball any time of the year, but this, this is a special time uh, if you are a college baseball fan because it's wall-to-wall action. You can't yep. ask for for more baseball. You know, it starts Friday afternoon, goes all the way through Sunday, and it's just a wonderful time to veg out in front of the TV and watch baseball. If you're not a college baseball fan at this point, do yourself a favor and watch the watch the regionals this weekend. It will make you a college baseball fan. Right. You got anything else before we shut her down and I get to go on vacation? I got one last baseball topic I want to talk about as we send it out. You know, Drew and I, you, Drew and I, we're both suckers. We've talked about on this podcast for anything Team USA. I don't care what it is. You put that USA stars and bars on a jersey, and I'm in. Right, right? all in. Did you see what our our 12 and under baseball team did this past week? I saw a clip, and I'm going to tell you something. I, what did we come back? To win 29 to 26 or 28-17 heading to the bottom of the six. They only play six innings in 12U baseball. And with with just three outs left, Team USA scored 12 runs and won on a grand slam to take yeah. the win 29-28. As a professional AU softball coach, <laughs> I would tell you that to me, that tells me that whoever the United States 12U team was playing – they ran out of pitching. And when you run out of pitching, when it comes to 12-year-olds, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's over. So yeah. that, they gave up that 
Grand Slam to win it, and I guarantee you it was thrown underhand. My favorite, the the I, you know I love when I see stuff on Twitter. I go to the comments and see what top comment first one was. Man, the under got nuked. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt about that. Um, yeah, we uh, finished off our eight U softball season last night. At least I did. They scheduled a makeup game for tomorrow night, and I'm not going to be there. Um, our best hitter, a, a girl by the name of Bailey, who I'm telling you, hit absolute rockets all year. She's a lefty, and she barrels it up every time i'm backing up pitching it to her <laughs> she brought out a old composite softball bat get out of that here. was as hot <laughs> as a dang firecracker <laughs> and she smoked one my daughter who is uh chloe god lover uh she's not very fleet of foot but she barrels up a, bat, a softball and uh she when i say barrel it up she's hitting them pretty sharp but on the ground I told her to use that composite bat, and she two-hopped the grass out there. <laughs> and uh, it lasted for about three innings until uh, one of our girls named uh, Kylie got up there and smoked the girl playing in the center, in the circle. You mm-hmm. know, they do the circle in softball. Uh, she was playing the circle position, and she took, I know the exit velo was like 75 off this bat, <laughs> took it square off the knee. And me and the umpire both at the same time said, get that bat out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was I, it was I, better her than me. <laughs> hey, speaking of, of softball, though, we got the Women's College World Series starting tomorrow night. Uh, always must-see TV if you're a fan of softball. And even if you're not, it's just fun to watch the girls when they get to this point. I mean, I like the, college world, the Women's College World Series. I like it, too. It's fine. But you're being very liberal with must-see TV. Well, I mean, I guess you're you're right. You're right. You're, I'm trying to be uh, trying to not get canceled here in 2023. But you got your perennial powerhouses there: Tennessee, Alabama, Oklahoma, Stanford, Florida State, and then Utah. The 15 seed made the College World Series this year. That's but who put Ole Miss out. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it. It'll be fun. It'll, it'll be something to watch this weekend as well. I'll keep up with it because they play early in the day. The baseball plays later in the day, so right. get to watch a little bit of both. Yeah. So um, last thing I'll end here and. Uh, Egg on my face, I guess, because I'm talking college basketball a little bit. Ole Miss got three major commitments. One of them was Matthew Morrell coming back, decided not to try his hand at the NBA draft. He was the leading scorer last year. They also got uh, uh, a transfer from Auburn who committed, uh, got in the transfer portal, said he was going to Ole Miss as long as he didn't stay into the draft. And so he – did not go into the draft. He pulled his name out of the draft and will be enrolling in Ole Miss, um, which was a big get. Uh, his dad is actually going to be on the uh, coaching staff at Ole Miss. He was on the coaching staff at Auburn, and so that definitely helped. And they just got a commit from last year's Cinderella, a guard named uh, Jalen Murray from St. Peter's. So I couldn't tell you the first thing about it, but about him, uh, this says – the explosive point guard from the Bronx. So, that's there cool. Go. There you go. So, uh, Chris Beard playing the transfer portal and playing it hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, hey, listen, man, enjoy your vacation. It was a great time as always. You know where to find us at Two Bucks Sports Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, same on Facebook. Look us up, give us a like, share, follow. Please, five star reviews, four star reviews, whatever. Give us a review. If we made you laugh, you enjoyed the show. That's how we get our name out there. Hey, and Rusty, I enjoyed it. I will have a great time on vacation. And uh, we'll re, re, 
Okay, let me start that sentence over. <laughs> and we will reunite on next Wednesday for another episode of the Two Bucks Box. My goodness. It's a wrap. It's, I'm telling you. <laughs> It's not even nine o'clock here, Central Standard Time, and I'm just marble mouthing this. I'm I'm just trying to close the podcast out, and I can't get it out. We will regroup right here next Wednesday for episode number 36 of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Until then, check us out on social media. If you have any questions, please send them our way. Shout out to our good friend and my best cousin Kurt, who spent the weekend in St. Louis watching uh, the Cardinals. Uh, go one and one against the Kansas City Royals in the Cross City rivalry there. So um, until then, we love you. We'll see you next year, next week, and goodbye. See you guys. Thank you.